Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to Podstetrics. Welcome, everyone. This is episode four of the podcast. Yeah, we've made it another episode. One more. One, one more. more. Ticking <laughs> them off as we go. <laughs> one more episode, one more week. So uh, I'm Evan. I'm Kayla, and welcome. Welcome, welcome. So today we have an, another Q&A episode, um, and today we have Eliza. So Eliza is one of the co-founders of Hallad to Health, and that's something that we'll talk about today. So Eliza, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Evan and Kayla. This is such an honor. No, thank you for coming on. Having you on is such an honor. So Eliza, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background? Yeah, absolutely. We'd love to. Uh, so for everyone who hasn't met me yet, yes, I am Eliza and one of the co-founders and right now the managing director um, at Howard to Health. Um, and that is a, a non-for-profit uh, where really we provide free health education um, to some of the most uh, disadvantaged communities in rural Philippines and that's something that I was really near and dear to all that half of the team who work behind it but essentially um, I started doing that well before I was actually studying uh, biomedicine and, and commerce at Monash University I'm, I'm sure a lot of people who are from Australia would know uh, Monash um, and I've always been really interested in sort of health uh, but I've always been in sort of a very entrepreneurial minded person, really since like day one of uh, almost high school. I was that kid who was uh, selling chocolate from the locker room kind of uh, really early days knew I was very entrepreneurial, always knew I was very business minded um, and really wanted to link the two things together and really get into the social uh, impact space and social entrepreneurship space when I was older. I thought probably in high school that I was going to do that maybe, you know, 30 or uh, really way down in the line. Uh, but it was during the time at uh, Monash University where there are a lot of opportunities that came up um, to get involved and launch basically some ideas. I launched many ideas which failed uh, miserably <laughs> beforehand. Uh, but by the time I got into my third year of university, um, that's when the project of Hallowed to Health took off. At the time, it was really just a volunteering project. Uh, I basically had gone over to volunteer in the Philippines myself as a first year student. Um, and what we actually did was follow around some doctors and surgeons who would go around to some of these indigenous communities where there was just a rampant, a rampant um, rate of cleft palate. And unfortunately, when uh, cleft palate gets untreated um, and you know, people grow up like that, uh, they have impaired speech, their life is completely sort of altered. Um, and basically they were saying, you know, it's too late by then, but we'll still fix and give you free uh, surgery by then. And I thought that was absolutely amazing as a first year pre-med student. I mean, I think if you get any clinical exposure at that age, you think it's a wow. Um, and so I asked the surgeons, honestly, like just like, what could students do at this point to uh, do more, give back and help you guys? Um, and they said, you know, actually students can do a whole lot. Um, actually what's more important is not the fact that we can give free surgeries now as clinicians, but actually we don't, we need people and the resources to provide for a health education because that's actually going to prevent a lot of these uh, diseases, which could be, um, you know, as, as long as people knew sort of what uh, contributed to it, maybe not specifically cleft palate, um, but things like dengue, things that are communicable, um, that's really something that could help prevent these diseases in the first place. And so I, I basically went back to uni, uh, second, third year thinking, oh, one day I would do this thing and one day I'd get uh, volunteers to come with me. And, and by the time essentially third year came around for me, um, they had that opportunity, my co-founder in the Philippines sort of opened that door up for us and we took the first trip over. And that's actually sort of how Howard's Health was born. It was very much a volunteering trip where I just got some mates to come with me over to this specific community who would ask for help in the Philippines. We went around for two weeks um, looked at some of the local government units as well as some of the health professionals and just asked them, you know, what, what 
what and where should we sort of start teaching um, about some of these health education topics? And we basically came back with, with a plan. We filmed the whole two-week trip and basically said, if this was a thing, like if this was a real two-week volunteering trip, would anyone join and come with us next time? Um, we basically put it online and within two weeks, we had over a hundred and something applications uh, to this volunteering trip. And, and that was um, how Hallard was, was born. Yeah, look, I mean, that's, that's amazing. And I guess, so Eliza, one of the reasons why we wanted to have you on was because I guess a lot of people think um, about medicine and about that like kind of medical field, whether you're, you know, in medicine or whether you're in allied health as kind of like, that's the only way to make an impact on patients' lives. Yeah. But one of the mm. things that we really wanted to highlight is that there's so many other ways that people can really get involved and make um, an impact. And that's something that you know, your company is doing, which is just absolutely amazing. Mm. Well, thank you so much. And um, I'm, I'm so glad and honoured to actually have met Evan through that process. And it's so great to have seen you go on to make this podcast and anything that really breaks down those barriers of accessibility, um, I think is really making a, a great positive contribution. And and so right to say, you know, there are so many different points you can make a difference in that value chain, whether it's to one specific person in, you know, sponsoring a child or for an, or, or whatnot to a more high level thing where you're working on policy around, you know, how things are structured in, in society and, and who has access to what, like every, you know, uh, wherever you can play a role, I think we really should. So I guess a little bit more about Hello to Help. So mm. do you want to talk to us a little bit about, I guess, the mission's about Hello to Health and how you guys go sure. about your fundraising and yeah, absolutely. So, like I said, we are a not-for-profit. We're actually in a registered Australia, uh, charity here, so um, people could donate to us, get a tax-deductible do donation. And um, like I said, the thing that we do is provide free health education. Primarily, primarily, it's health education uh, in a classroom setting. We go to local schools and teach about certain topics that the school has asked us to teach about. So, historically, for us, that has been during epidemics uh, of dengue, it has been about dengue for young children. Uh, but during this time in particular, there's been a huge focus on the rising rates of teen pregnancy as well as rising rates of depression in some of these rural communities that don't have access to um, doctors, or, or not doctors necessarily, but don't have access to people who they could talk about health issues to, or counsellors, for example. Um, and now we're also transitioning to... Um, also adding a service, a free service component to all of our health education classes. So for instance, right now, the big focus in country for our Philippines team is to provide um, awareness about uh, mental health for young people, which is a highly, highly stig uh, taboo and stigmatized uh, topic over there. Um, and also adding a component of service which is a free mental health counselling service for anyone who absolutely needs it. Um, and basically, you know, be, being the founding days of starting what is like a headspace over there. So that is sort of what we do um, in terms of the impact we make in country. And essentially in Australia, um, we do two things. One, we recruit and run those mission trips in terms of providing the talent and the volunteers who go overseas and are really committed. And they're the whole reason why um, I guess we're able to do this in country is because we have volunteers who will go over and uh, run so many classes in a day. We have so many partners, partner schools uh, locally that it really, we need the manpower and um, students are absolutely the best and um, the most passionate to go out and do that. And so what that would look like is that in about two weeks, you, um, go to different uh, hospital settings in the first week and you really learn about the topic that you're going to be teaching about. So for instance, we talked about early rates of teen pregnancy um, and you know, until you get there and you see a whole 
uh, labor room full of girls under 16, you don't understand why it's such an important topic to teach about and teach about the prevention of. Um, so it's really an exposure for the first week in a sort of clinical setting, but it's tying together to use those anecdotal stories to then go off and teach at different local schools about that specific topic in the second week. Um, and then all amongst the sort of um, in-betweens, there's a lot of cultural experiences. You get to go to like local people's houses and see how they live and see their living conditions and um, sort of piece everything together on a public health perspective. So that's all about our mission trip. Um, and then the second part is sort of the second role that we do here in Australia is we fundraise for these uh, mission trips. So for us, these mission trips have really taken off in 2019 until obviously COVID hit in 2020, um, to the point where this health education program actually became an official program of the local government's uh, Department of Education's health program. So essentially we've run some of their health um, topic programs. And um, you know, for us to be able to say, we truly are always coming back to their um, local schools, that we're always going to be able to provide volunteers and teach. Um, there's a level of sustainability and there's a level of responsibility that we have to take on for that. And we have to make sure that we're at least financially going to be able to fund and sustain that massive fundraising effort. And we do that through sort of a social enterprise model here in Australia. Um, and we essentially run uh, Australia's most affordable GAMSAT and med interview services, as well as some other sort of academic services um, for students who are wanting to get into uh, I guess, postgraduate medicine or some um, health career at the end of the day. Of the day. So um, we run a few different GAMSAT courses, a few different uh, med interview sort of um, services as well. And those are all extraordinarily personalized, uh, made extraordinarily affordable, because that's definitely sort of a, a barrier to entry um, for a lot of students. And that has absolutely taken off in the year that has been COVID. Um, we've really went from you know, zero to six figures very, very quickly because of the uh, amount of support that we got from um, students who really just wanted access to some GAMSAT tuition at the same time was really making a difference with us. Right. So just summarizing that, am I right in thinking, so you pretty much take the funding that you're getting from the GAMSAT and the medical training that you provide to students, and then you're able to move that then into the work that you do in the Philippines? Yeah, absolutely. That's it. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. And I suppose going on next, um, you know, Starting this company, obviously, this was, you know, this would have been a long process for you in terms of, you know, thinking about the company, thinking about the value that you were going to add and thinking about, you know, the intrinsic roles that you would need. Did you have any inspiration for that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, like I said, I went through a few different programs at Monash. And, um, if anything, it's really the real real life people, not quite, you know, the Steve Jobses of the world who are so inaccessible to us who go to Monash, for example. Um, but really the, the, the um, founders who are actually Monash students, um, and they actually, so I went through a program called an accelerator program. Um, and it was completely for like Monash students and alumni who went off and, and built a business. Um, and they would just come in every sort of Tuesday and they would talk about how they basically started and whatnot. And it was just like real, real life, I guess, people who just went off and did something different. And the fact that they took that step was just an inspiration to me. Um, and I think at the time for context, you know, I was pretty young. Um, and so, you know, didn't necessarily have all the confidence in the world, but to see that a difference, like, you know, people who are now had really successful companies or whatnot, but started off, you know, their company started off as projects as students. You know, it was maybe their end last year, um, final project and they spun, off, spun it off as a company or whatnot um, to see how you know they brought it back to that's something that we would all be able to do as students 
um, that was definitely the, the biggest inspiration, I guess, for me. But I guess also for context, you know, I didn't I didn't necessarily plan for Hallard to to become this huge um, company at the end of the day. It was really started off as this small um, summer project. And even after that summer project, there was the question of like, oh, should we keep going? Like, people interested in this or not? Projects and, um, you know, after that, obviously, after we got so much interest, um, that's when it sort of started taking off. But I guess the early days, the intention wasn't, to make it this big thing. You guys, obviously, you, you guys do so much, but um, if you wanted to, if you had to summarize the mission of the company in three words, what would they be? Yeah, so definitely health education. That's the, that's the thing, the core thing we do. I'd say youth and young people. Um, and the last thing of accessibility and to give a little bit more context to all of those, um, you know, health education is sort of our way of making a difference in the world. It's so crazy that when you go in the country, uh, you see these young girls who are taking care of um, are carers full time uh, for their parents who might have tuberculosis and need made medication every day. And they're basically are dropping, dropping out of school to take care of their family. Um, and so the, the need for health education to prevent some of these diseases from happening is, is so, you know, the start of the chain of this cyclic thing. Um, and so that's really the, the piece of the puzzle that we're tackling. I say youth because literally everyone who's employed at Hallard um, is a young person. Some people even in country right now who are employed by Hallard are even in high school and getting opportunities that they wouldn't um, if it wasn't otherwise for us. Um, and the last bit of accessibility, like everyone thinks about accessibility sometimes about being free and, and um, financially accessible, but also for us, um, the actual key part of what we do in country is contextualize what is known as, I guess, common knowledge about certain diseases and contextualize it to the locals, make sure it's language barrier is not a thing, making sure that cultural context is not a barrier um, and make sure, making sure that we make it for young people, particularly like a fun and engaging topic, you know, talking about depression and mental health is not sometimes you know, the funnest topic to talk about. Um, but if you do it in a way that everyone wants to go and share, that makes it accessible. Yeah, look, that was, a, that was really a really good summary. And I suppose just kind of um, putting kind of like a, a women's health spin on this, those kind of three words mm. that you use to describe your company it is also so important when we think about women's health. So one of the things that myself and Kayla are very passionate about um, is equal representation in the workforce. Yeah. Um, and one of the things yeah. are in a lot of, in a lot of, you know, the poorer developing countries, one of the reasons why women may find it really hard to enter the workforce um, is this um, rise in, in, in what you've described as, as teenage pregnancy. Um, it's really yeah. hard to continue your education. It's really hard to seek equal opportunity and it's really hard to maintain an education um, when you have other priorities. Um, and so definitely one of the one of the big things to increase equal representation in these countries um, is definitely to, you know, um, address these things which you've talked about being, you know, providing women with the education, um, making sure they're reached at an early age, but making it accessible. So I think that's, that's just amazing. And in saying all that, because obviously you're quite busy, you've achieved so much in such a little amount of time. What keeps you going? Yeah, for sure. That's such a good, that's such a good question. Um, I always say, and essentially, I guess, my role taking care of, you know, a, a team of almost close to 50 now across two countries is the thing that keeps us going for sure is just momentum. The fact that every small win we celebrate and we can see 
like, you know, obviously there are so many hours of grind that goes in behind the scenes of every program that we put out, every event, every anything. Um, but once you see even just like one person who is grateful that you did that and one person who can say, like, wow, I finally have a platform to share my feelings or whatnot, you know, that is, those are the small, I guess, wins that we, we consider momentum. Um, and more on that, I guess, it's, it's one thing because I've obviously gone through failed experiences of starting something up and I know what momentum feels like as an individual but it's so much greater when it's shared momentum and at Hallett we don't even call ourselves a team we call ourselves a family um, and the fact that we can share that momentum as a family you know we know exactly who was behind and orchestrated for instance designing that page that someone really enjoyed and we attribute you know the success to someone's hard work and we celebrate that all together as a family and so um, everyone has their moment to shine I guess at Hallard um, and it, it's really the momentum that we're building together that keeps us going. Yeah amazing so you've told us at the start so your role in the company is as a, as a co-founder and as a managing director and all the managing directors I've mm-hmm. seen drink coffee and uh, sit in an office so <laughs> what do you keep you busy in Hallard to help? Yeah absolutely so um I guess this is something that actually has changed for sure in uh, between 2019, 2020 and 2021, it has changed progressively. And I think that is just generally the trajectory of when a company grows, um, the role of who leads it uh, is, is changing. And so in 2019, I guess my role was just to get us from zero to one, which, you know, just to get us some interest, just to get us off the ground. Um, and it was very operational. 2020 was even more operational than that. We had fundraising pieces, we had actually executing in country pieces, we had, I was literally doing everything operational, I would say, in 2020, as well as building a team to go and make that happen, because, you know, I only have 24 hours in a day, as as well as anyone else, and so only when we synergistically move our 24 hours in a day together, can we actually achieve what we want to, Um, and now, in 2021, um, We've built out a team. We've put in the hard yards in 2020 behind the scenes. And we have all our systems and processes in place to go off and execute. And now, I guess my role is just to make sure that when we, as we grow, as we are growing, um, it's a lot more strategic than just things happening. You know, we're really curating an experience of taking a student from the first time we meet them to, well, at least for in Australia, from the first time we meet them to go through, for instance, one of our services or one of our events and curating this um, really nice and strategic sort of pathway for them to see how they can make a difference with us too. Um, so I guess that's, that's what I would say I do, you know, the strategic growth piece um, in orchestrating that. Okay. And I guess along the way, you've obviously faced some challenges. So one of the things that you talked about was, you know, trying to start, you know, a number of passion projects and having them failed. So what are some of the challenges that you faced and how did you end up overcoming it? Yeah, absolutely. And this this is, I guess, the hardest one to answer because quite often you get vague answers and I absolutely hate being vague. But I'd say um, at a high level, there are basically, I would say, three main types of challenges that I think anyone um, who has started anything up would face and the easiest of them to overcome for sure are just the operational challenges just just like things that you just don't know how to execute on um, and it's just a matter of being the and I think every founder is subscribed to just learning unlearning and learning again um, and so you know operational things for instance when when we transitioned from physical classes to in-person classes to continue fundraising it was making sure that look we have it we now make a web page how do I make that how do I optimize the SEO on that you know, all these things that we didn't exactly learn as biomed or uh, commerce students behind the scenes, but now we're 
basically, you know, chucked into the deep end um, and just got to go search up and learn. So those operational things, um, for sure, are, you know, challenging, but they're overcomable. Um, what was probably a bit harder to overcome was sort of when you're going from one person who cares about the cause as an individual or maybe two people, my co-founder and I, who cared about the, individ- uh, about the cause, to then trying to spread that to a team and then grow the team and everyone have that level of passion, like that's a whole new type of um, challenge because there's, there's emotions and there's relationships that go into that. Like everyone now here at Howard, we call ourselves a family, like I said, but it wasn't always that way. Like we have really had to work on the relationships to make sure that people weren't focused necessarily on the outcomes, but the process of how to get there. And that's totally different to anyone who just decides to go for a job. You know, everyone who's been hired at Hallard, they were never here for the job. They were here for the personal and the growth trajectory that we were on. And they're so invested um, in growing with us. Um, and that took a lot of, it takes a lot of, I would say, emotional capacity to continue that with when you're going from two people to 10 people to 12 people to 20 to now almost 50 people. And we're, you know, we're, we're at such a close proximity to each and every one of them um, and making sure that they feel like they are contributing always and they're growing with us. Mm-hmm. Um, and then an interesting, I guess, challenge that I think um, I necessarily didn't see coming as much as it actually did in reality, but this concept of, uh, of competition and what people see competition as when, you know, at the end of the day, we, we did end up growing a company. Um, and there are a lot of different companies who run, for instance, GAMSAT courses or men interview services out there. Quite literally, by month three of us going online and us having a presence and doing really well at it and, tr- and attracting tons of students very quickly, you know, our competitors quickly copied us, quickly reached out to just say what we were, we were doing. Um, unfortunately, I don't know if many people know, but the, the GAMSAT space historically has been very, very bad at this, where... All of the major companies, I, I would say, that run GAMSAT um, services, if you know, really do see each other as competition. Um, and we don't even, you know, for us, we don't even subscribe to that idea. It's we put our head down. You know, we know what we're doing. We know we're serving our students the best. And like, you know, all that competition is white noise for us. So um, I think it's easier for for me to put my head down as an individual but making sure that everyone on the team who has seen and gone through a GAMSAT process and seen the industry like that can very quickly be subscribed to this concept of, oh, the competition are chasing us and they're copying us, what do we do? Um, and it's a, it's a matter of, I guess, managing everyone's emotions and making sure that, you know, we know at the end of the day what our integrity is um, and, you know, we just stick to that. Yeah, and look, I think that's one thing that's really important as well, just touching on this whole idea of, of, you know, the, the kind of monetary cost that goes into GAMSAT. So that's something that I'm very kind of personal about. Um, you know, I've always, mm. said, you know, if, if, if the cure for cancer was trapped in a person that couldn't afford an education, um, we're living in a pretty sad time. So mm. yeah, that, that, that's definitely one great thing that you're doing because one of the things about the GAMSAT though is it, it was supposed to be designed as, you know, an entrance exam that pretty much put everyone on an equitable playing field. But I feel like now right. with a lot of the kind of courses that are out there and a lot of the material that's out there, the more money you have, the greater your opportunity mm. is to do well. 
Oh yeah, 100%. Mm-hmm. 100%. And you know, we were talking about this uh, a couple of weeks ago. Like Kayla was thinking about sitting the games oh, yeah. after zero. And it's and the thing is, is that like I've just moved out of home and now I'm worrying about paying rent and paying bills and whatnot. And I'm like, I don't think I'm going to be able to afford to sit the games out in March. Because it's just, yeah, the let prices alone, are skyrocketing. Let alone even, study for it. Let alone study for it. Mm. Every single time you go and look for material, there's always a monetary cost to it. It's, yeah. it's not it's not a free-for-all. Mm. It's, it's, it's mm. And that's just sad. But, you know... Yeah. Absolutely. At least, um, at least it Eliza, drives that gap. Yeah, it, and it, it does. It it, it drives. A it does increase gap. the gap. But yeah. I mean, at least Eliza, like you've said, at least you've got you know something going that is giving people kind of like the best fee for service that they can get at the moment, and yeah. at least they can be rest assured that that money is going into something that's making a difference in people's lives. Mm. Absolutely. And this is something that, like, crazily enough, like I I never went down the med pathway, so I never had to sit the games out. But like, by uh, only after we actually launched our first service did I actually realize how how I guess competitive and, and how um, monetized the space is. And so it only was after the fact, really, that we were like, oh, holy crap, people are re- like people really do want an affordable option. Um, and actually, when we started our game set stuff, like it honestly was like almost pretty much free. And to this day, we have almost like, you know, over 2000 students using our free services. Um, and that's amazing because at the end of the day, we want to be able to, you know, speak to those students who maybe one day will come on our missions and want to um, make a difference with us. And that's what we care about more so than the number of students who are going to go on and purchase a course from us. Yeah, definitely. If you... Um, in a position like like Taylor is studying for the games that thing there are so many you know free options um and whatnot you know definitely there is a lot of marketing that is um I guess pulling on the strings of of, of fear and a uh, fear of missing out um that you you know don't need to give into and I think it's nice to know that the money that you're investing especially with um things like Hello to Health is going to be I guess not recycle recycle is not the word, right word for it but it's going to be used for something it's, good it's, so re- it's redirected do, into something it's, good yeah, yeah exactly right yeah absolutely and um no, interestingly, we did we did a few testimonials with students um, after the first ever iteration of our sort of flagship um, course, which is called the Six Week Intensives. And the number one thing that they cared about was, yeah, like they got roped in because of the affordable thing, but like only after the fact that they find out that their funds are going to, their tuition fees are going towards this course. And they're like, holy crap, like what have just donated this anyway? Um, yeah. And, you know, that that's, I guess, so cool to be able to, to hear that people genuinely just cared about the, the cause at the end of the day. Eliza, well, woman to woman, <laughs> but have there been any challenges that you have faced specifically as a woman uh, beginning an entre- entrepreneurial s- startup? I can't even say that word. Entrepreneurial. It's so hard, right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I can even spell it. Um, <laughs> we, we, we use spell check. We use spell check. <laughs> we were typing yesterday. Google Docs has set up this. <laughs> and we misquoted yeah, about five times. I think Kayla wrote it in French. <laughs> I don't know how many E's and A's, but that was so confusing. Anyway, yeah. yeah they should have really, really chosen an easier word. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, for sure. I think the thing is, though, like, and I could tell you stories of, of when it's happened, but I would say, like, overall, like, for sure, I think everyone knows that there are disparities. Um, a woman who is trying to just make things happen, you really just can't let, like, unfortunately, you at the time and in retrospect, and unfortunately, I think when I was younger talking about it, you can't let it affect you and you can't say that you have maybe, you know, unequal opportunity or whatnot just because of the way things are structured um, because it feels like it will be a cyclic thing where you will lead to less opportunity at the end of the day. Um, but now I think I'm, you know, at a place where it's definitely a lot more comfortable to talk about, but I could tell you so many examples of 
being at, say, for instance, you know, that accelerator program I was talking to you about. Um, so amazing in terms of the opportunities that it opened up for sure. But, you know, when you go into a room, for instance, where uh, you're meeting venture capitalists from now Sydney, which is the international, I guess, venture capital like hub for Australia, you know, the leaders of all those firms are all men who want to be investing in tech and don't even really want to answer your question or talk to you. And I guess it's really hard to network in a way that is really like, I guess, easy to connect when the first thing that people look at isn't necessarily, you know, you or they can't see that they have a, uh, a natural rift to talking to you, for example. Yeah. So those are definitely have been many occasions, but like, you know, when you're in that moment to, you know, take it for, understand and be aware that that's happening and be like, okay, well, these two people are connecting really easily because they're used to connecting. They look like each other. Like, likewise, I'd probably say if, if I was in the other position, I would be able, to, I would probably be more inclined to talk to someone who looks like me. So I give them grace for being like, you know, that's just how things are. Um, but also, you know, you are going to find your people in this space at some point, somewhere. It just wasn't, you know, there at that opportunity at that time because, you know, the space didn't hold for it. Um, and just, you know, I think I've been to so many of those, you know, occasions where that's happened. Um, and you just got to keep, I found my tribe at the end of the day. I found my, the people who unconditionally would support me through my venture. Um, and I definitely found that at Monash. Um, and beyond but uh yeah I mean like it exists but I would say probably at this point you um got to keep going as if it didn't feel free to feel free to like it's just really uh, uh it's really disappointing I guess to hear that like hmm. and it is like the reality is that right I mean like I would say as uh, upon reflection of my younger self who would do that um like it is I mean but yeah. I suppose like the the good thing is I'm glad though, that you were able to you know see past the BS I guess um, and really like hold it together and wait for your opportunity to come because I think that's important like one of the things that I've gotten from listening to you so far is that one of the things that differentiates you from someone who you know hasn't done what you've done is not giving up I guess and yeah, waiting for the opportunity not not saying that like you know my opportunity is missed but rather I'm mm. just gonna wait for it to come or find a new avenue yeah to make it come about yeah, yeah you've really pushed through and i think that's what's you know allowed you and your company to grow which is thank and like thank you but also i've definitely learned that through um the people who have mentored me at like you know going through all these um trials and tribulations where you don't feel valued in a certain space to then i think everyone does sort of actually need to go through that experience to then see like okay this is what a true genuine like this person is mentoring me genuinely, not with a hidden agenda sort of thing. And it was only until meeting those people. And um, I can only say that I've, I've grown to where I am now off the backs of what they have shown me. Um, and so as much as it's been, I guess, saying that you have to wait for your opportunity to meet the right people to come, um, you know, it's so worthwhile to find people who um, get it in your perspective and not waste your time, like, you know, dibble dabbling over people who are never going to get get it like connect with you anyway you know it's like no matter how hard I would have tried to pitch in front of a VC that you know didn't care less about you know because I was this person in the program versus someone else I could just be spending that energy trying to find the right people who would easily open doors um for us at the end of the day all right so um Eliza obviously you know um Obstetrics is an obstetric podcast that focuses <laughs> on women's health 
So we really wanted to ask you, you know, how does Hala to Health fit in in the obstetrics and women's health sphere? Yeah, absolutely. And this is so awesome that you guys are doing this this niche, which is terrific because I don't think women's health women's health gets enough airtime. But um, in particular, like I mentioned before, one of the big topics that we were asked to go in and teach about as Australian volunteers um, in a rural community specifically called Bukidnon, which is sort of um, a landlocked rural city in the south of the Philippines, um, was they had a problem with absolutely rising rates of teenage pregnancy. And when we're talking about teenage pregnancy, we're talking about students who are 11, 12, 13, you know, who unfortunately will have to drop out of school because they are pregnant. It's almost normal for someone who is going into high school to see that there is a year seven student, there's a year eight student who is pregnant. And so that is the local reality um, in country for them. And I guess to put that into context of what that actually looks like, one of the big hospitals in which partnered with us um, on our mission trips, in that first week of this teen pregnancy mission trip that we were going on, it was about getting exposure to see what that looks like. And so we walked into one of the hospitals and then walked into the sort of delivery ward and it was something like one in every six uh, mothers who was giving birth that day was under the age of 16. And that's an absolutely terrifying statistic for the local doctors because they know exactly what complications can go wrong um, in an early pregnancy where you know a teen girl's pelvis is not even developed you know, well enough to be able to handle that level of stress. There's so much to do with, you know, preeclampsia, sort of all these different medical things that could go wrong, as well as the fact that for student, uh, for we've even seen in the delivery room, you know, someone who was under the age of 14 and the, just by law, one of the hosp rural hospitals in sort of the mountainous areas couldn't actually deliver the baby there because if something went wrong, it would have been on the hospital. And so she was literally in labor where she had to get transported hours away to a different hospital, which could actually take her. And so there are so many different problems when you have um, women who are, or girls who are going through pregnancy so young. And so I guess our number one role um, that trip was to really assess sort of why this was happening. And obviously our role in taking the perspective of some health education. Um, and it really came down to the fact that you know, there is a religious context on top of this in-country in the Philippines where really, you know, you shouldn't really be having um, sex until you're married, essentially. Um, and so it's a, it's a highly stigmatized thing. Um, and there's basically no one to run to for girls who might be in a situation where they're getting into a relationship that's getting a bit too full up. And so, you know, it's a hardline uh, method of really just saying, don't do this. Um, and that is basically the only form of contraception. Um, and not having any spectrum in between uh, has always been the go-to. And we completely respect that, and that is the religious context in which we work in. Um, but for us as young people who um, get the opportunity to, you know, see that there are different options of, of contraception or have, have different options, essentially, um, our role was really to say, okay, well, why is this happening? Essentially, some girls just don't have access to the information of what's going to happen to them during, after the consequences, whatnot of pregnancy. I mean, they really just see pregnancy as this, this beautiful birth um, and this thing that they can have for life and don't really know sort of the negative consequences or the ramifications of it. And so our role was to go in and teach about, okay, you know, really this is the reality of what pregnancy is. On top of that, this is what the reality medically for a, a young girl going through pregnancy is. And then the consequences on top of that medically for a child, you know, not crossing any uh, religious boundaries and uh, being really respectful to that. But, you know, at the end of the day, explaining why 
you know, abstinence is a pretty good form of contraception and, and for you to avoid some of those consequences. Um, and just having access to that conversation of being like, oh, you know, so some of these girls, they really did not know that. They really did not know that the size of, you know, a baby's head was larger than the pelvic opening, for example. And, you know, to actually visually imagine that um, gives so much, I don't want to say deterrent, but uh, really does give context, I guess, for, for a girl to then make a wiser choice. Um, but on top of that, you know, for us, especially for the girls who are in our class, you know, unfortunately, it was probably the first time that a lot of them would have heard that they had the option to say no if a, if a male was too pushy on them. And the reason why they had the option to say no was because they had to bear the physical and sometimes the social and financial consequences afterwards of having a baby. And so if you are going to deal with everything down the line, then, you know, you essentially get to make the choice if you and you get the choice to go and voice up. I guess that's one of the main topics which we talk about um, that's linked in with, with women's health and really tackling it, I guess, in the early days because that's, I guess, where the problem is right now. I suppose there's, like, really two things I want to say. Firstly, like, it's a very interesting paradox when you have, you know, the stigma of sex not being openly discussed in a community, but then contrasting that with the stigma of you know, contraception. Yeah. And that's definitely something mm. that we want to talk about. And I guess the second thing that, you know, we want to be really clear with as well from a podstetrics point of view, and I think a halad our health point of view, we're not really saying that, you know, teenage pregnancy is necessarily a bad thing. Rather, what we're mm. saying is that, you know, we want women to be empowered and educated so that they have the knowledge to make the best decision for them. Yeah. And I guess, um, you know, moving on to that um, a little bit. So I guess one of the exciting things that we're doing is a obstetrics and a Halad to Health um, collaboration. So one thing that we're really excited with is, you know, getting to speak with um, Vera and Charity, who's someone on the ground in the Philippines, and really getting some insight into, you know, the limitations of the rising rates of pregnancy in the Philippines, um, specifically teenage uh, pregnancy the access to sexual, sexual education, education, yep, and contraception, um, and then also, mm. you know, how the women and girls in this community access that. So, Eliza, do you want to tell us a little bit about where people can find you and how people can get involved with Hella to Help? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, I guess if anything that we spoke about today about our mission trips and making impacts through providing free health education is something that you'd like to do and volunteer with us with. Um, our missions are possibly going back in 2022, but we basically are opening our expressions of interest already. Um, for anyone who does want to join us and basically the eligibility criteria is um, you just got to be an Australian university student and uh, either have a passion in health or be in uh, a health related degree. Um, and you just go to our website, www.halitohealth.org um, and you can ex express your interest there. Or if you want to help um, help support us and help us fundraise through the various sort of channels that uh, services that we run. And you are in a, someone who might be going through a trajectory of wanting to get into medicine, um, definitely come and check out whether it's our free or our course version of our GAMSAT and med interview services, we always run free versions of them. You can definitely check that out on the website as well or through our Facebook, Instagram or YouTube, which all the handles are at Helen to Help. Yeah, wonderful. And we'll definitely share that link as well on all of our Instagram, Twitter, all of our socials where people yeah. so that people can find you. Yeah, that's it. Eliza, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on. It has been an absolute honour to have you on the podcast, but it's been just absolutely inspiring hearing your story and hearing all that you've achieved at such a young age and really thinking about where you're going to go is really overwhelming as well. 
Yeah, and, and just loving that you're um, just loving that you're really shaking up the space. And you know, I came home today from placement feeling so tired, and I feel so renewed after talking with you. It was amazing. It's like we should not. We're not allowed to be tired. <laughs> oh <my Yeah>. <laughs> No, absolutely. It was the pleasure was all mine. Thank you so much for giving us this platform and this opportunity. It is I always say, but we know we're still in our early days at Howard. It's only been two two years, what even. Um, but it's really the people in the early days who uh, give us a helping hand, whether it's with the platform, whether it's being one of our partners or whatnot, who really make the world of difference. Um, and this is going to be one of them for for us. So thank you so much. Definitely. And I guess we'll just finish off where where people can find us. Yeah, so basically yeah. you can find us on all, all social media at Podstetry. Um, we also have a link, link tree. Yeah, and we put that out on our Facebook and our Instagram mm -hmm. and our Twitter. Yeah. And that basically just lets you click on one link um, and then you just have access to everything and there. All so of our services makes available. life easier. Yeah. yeah, thank you guys. I think that's the end of episode four. I'm Kayla. And I'm Evan. And take care. See you next time. Uh, and as always, stay safe. And take care of yourself. Thank you.